0: But now, in chapter 5, we're going to fast forward. It's about 23 years, and about four rulers have passed since Nebuchadnezzar. And we come to the king of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Um, There's some debate, but some say he was uh, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And we have a contrast between one king who finally humbled himself before the king of kings and Nebuchadnezzar received mercy. And another king will see Belshazzar, who defied God, though given the opportunity to know the true God, but he refused and he received judgment instead. See, justice and mercy, they define God's character. And we know that when you get the combination, it says in First John 4, 8, it says, God is love when justice and mercy come together. Let's uh, open our Bibles to uh, Daniel 5, and let's start in verse 1. We'll read through verse 4. It says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords, and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines, might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, And the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass, of iron, of wood and of stone. So what's going on here? What's the backstory? What's happening as this feast is going on? Well, we know that uh Belshazzar, he was actually put in charge of the kingdom while his father, um, Nabonidus, was away in Arabia. He was on some other, uh, pursuing some other interests. And so he was actually a co-ruler with his father. And even though the city was under siege the very night of this great feast, and it was under siege by the Medes and the Persian army, but Belshazzar wasn't worried because he knew they had enough food, they had provisions for years, and they had an endless supply of water, and they would have even been able to grow their own food. No army could ever starve them out. But... One of the reasons was because uh, Babylon was a massive size. And there is some debate about this. If you look at historians and stuff, we don't know exact size. But some uh, historians believe that the walls were at least 10 to 14 miles long on each side. And there was also a quarter-mile wall... Or, between, or a quarter-mile distance between an inner and an outer wall is is what some historians believe. And they say that the walls could have been 70 feet or taller, and there would have been enough room to turn a chariot around with horses on top of the walls. It's a pretty, pretty massive city. And this could have been the reason why... Belshazzar was so confident is because he thought his city was impregnable, that it was no one could take it. And so for that reason, it might have been why he planned this great feast out of pride and arrogance and even confidence in this great city. In verse 1 we read, so the wine was flowing. What's the chances of Good things happening when the, when the wine is flowing. Are you going to have good judgment in your decisions? In Proverbs 31.4, it says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. So I've heard of kings usually and they would not drink in public. So they wouldn't do something regrettable before the people. We have a story in First Kings um, chapter twenty. Uh, this is another king, Benadad. He was the king of Syria, and he got drunk at noon with thirty-two kings, and he ends up getting routed in a battle with Ahab because they were all drunk. You're not going to make very good decisions when you're in that state. In verse 2, we read he was tasting the wine. And while he was doing this, I'm sure he was feeling the effects. And he ordered the sacred temple vessels to be brought to the party to drink the wine of Babylon from them. You know, this was a prideful, in-your-face mockery of the God of heaven and also to his forefather, Nebuchadnezzar, who acknowledged the king of heaven. So why did Belshazzar choose to um, do this act? Why did he take the trophy cups of war that were of the Jews' temple um, to drink from them? You know, I, I wonder if it was because maybe he had heard rumors that the Jews... Um, had heard of Cyrus coming to the gates of Babylon, and just maybe they, he had heard that they felt that they were, that was their deliverer. And so maybe he was defying the Jews in this way by taking the, the sacred temple vessels and drinking from them. We don't know for sure. One thing in the Bible We know that wine can symbolize um, different things. Sometimes it's called new wine, which would be grape juice. Sometimes it's called called, uh, old wine that has been fermented. So yeast or fermentation is a symbol for sin. That is why in communion or Passover, the wine and bread have no fermentation or yeast because it represents Christ's body that had no sin. But we see the wine of Babylon in another place. And where is that? In Revelation, we see in chapters 14 and in chapters 18. Here wine symbolizes doctrine or a belief system. In Revelation eighteen two 2 and verse 3, it says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. These are events that are going to take place in the near future. Just like Babylon literally fell when the king Belshazzar ordered the people to drink the wine of Babylon from the sacred vessels of God's temple, so in Revelation, symbolic Babylon falls after making the nations and kings drink the wine of Babylon. So what is that symbolic wine? It's her false doctrine. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew fifteen nine. He talks about things like this. He says, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as their doctrines the commandments of men. Have you seen that today? Are we living in a time right now when men are teaching their own theories instead of the truth from the Bible? What, is it, what does it bring? It brings confusion. When you have all these different theories being taught, people don't know what to believe. And what is the definition of Babylon? Confusion. There's coming a time when the nations of this earth will drink the wine of Babylon again. They'll accept her false doctrine and order others to do the same. And then spiritual Babylon will fall. Judgment will come. But, you know, that's not the end in the next verse, in Revelation 18, verse 4. God just doesn't bring judgment, but he has mercy, too. And he says, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues. You know, God is trying to bring his people out of Babylon, out of the confusion, just like he did when Daniel was a witness for God in Babylon of old. If you look at verse 4, verse four that we just read, they drank wine, and what did they do? They praised the gods of gold and silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Why would you praise something that is not living when you can praise the living God? Because they actually made these images out of their own imagination. They were their own, these, own, the men's, these men's doctrines, you could say. Let's go to verse 5. In Daniel, verse 5, it says, After they were drinking the wine in these vessels, something happened. In the same hour, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him. So the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. So we have this saying today, don't we? If you were to say the writing's on the wall, what would that mean? It could mean... Many different things. It could mean, I wrote down a few. It could mean doom, misfortune. Something bad's going to happen. Un- something unpleasant's going to happen. Or it could mean, this is the end. This is the end. The writing is on the wall. We use There's many terms we use in the Bible today that people don't really realize where they came from. And this is one of them. And this was the end for Belshazz- Belshazzar. In verse 6, it says the king's countenance was changed. He becomes sober very fast, doesn't he? Because his conscience was awakened, and he was very afraid. In verse 7, he calls for the wise men. Who else called for the wise men? Yeah, grandpa, Nebuchadnezzar, and he offered rewards of a third rulership in the kingdom. And then verse 8. It says, Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. So he was afraid at first. But then he had a little bit of hope. Well, I'll call in the wise men. They'll give me some answers. They'll know what it says. But when they had no answers, he became more afraid. When God makes men afraid, they cannot hide the intensity of their fear. And some have even, I've heard pastors preach on this, and some say that they've interpreted his loins were loosed and his knees knocked together, that maybe he lost control of some of his bodily functions even, which is possible. But as we get down to verse 10, something happens. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever, Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. We're not sure. There is a debate on what queen this was. Some say it could have been the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Some say it could have been the wife of Nebuchadnezzar that could still have been alive. We're not sure. But it's the queen mother, and maybe the queen mother of uh, Belshazzar, But she says in verse 11, and this is very profound, there is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and in the days of thy father light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father the king, I say thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. You see, she must have had um, a personal knowledge of Daniel because she named him Daniel by his Hebrew name, and she didn't call him in, in the next... She didn't call him, we'll see this in verse 12, For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So here she she named him by his Hebrew name, Daniel. And she says, but the king named him Belteshazzar. So she must have had a personal knowledge. Does she sound very confident? She says, and I wonder if she was a believer in the true God because she wasn't at that party. She wasn't at that feast. She came after she heard what was going on. And she has a lot of confidence in Daniel, in Daniel's God. So in verse 13, we see that um, Daniel is brought before the king. And in verse 14, the king has heard about Daniel. And then in verse 15, it says, And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me. So here is Belshazzar speaking. And that, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. The wise men had no answers. Did the wise men in Babylon ever have any answers? They had no answers for Nebuchadnezzar either. Who has the answers in Babylon? Who has always had them? God, God, but God's servants. You're familiar with Amos 3, 7 and what that verse says? It says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. The Bible has the answers for us today, doesn't it? It reveals the events that have happened and that will happen in the future. I'm going to turn over to Isaiah 46, verse 9, and I want to read something here for you. Isaiah 46, verse 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Amen. God has the answers. And today, at the end of time, God's people, we're spiritual Israel, will have the answers before the fall of Babylon. Are we acquainted with the answers that God wants us to give? You know, in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter 3.15, it says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's something we can all strive to do is have a ready answer. If we go to verse 16. It says, um, And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about thy neck, and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Wasn't Daniel offered that once before? But it was even better before. It was the second ruler. Now he's only offered the third ruler. Why is that? Because Belshazzar's, Belshazzar is a co-ruler with his father, Nabonidus. So he can't even offer him the second rulership. He offers him the third. In verse 17, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. Daniel didn't want his gifts. He knew that before the night was over, they were going to be worthless. But he said, I'll give you an answer anyway. As we go down in verses 18 through 21, Daniel gives a history lesson to Belshazzar. And I think it's worth reading for us today to see what Daniel said to him. Verse 18 says, O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would slew and whom he would be kept he kept alive, and whom he would set up, and whom he would put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like be- the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. Nebuchadnezzar had pride in his heart, and he had to be humbled. And Daniel shared this with Belshazzar so that he would know that history. He already did know it, actually, if you go to verses 22 and 23, it says, And thou, this, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all of this. Belshazzar hadn't learned anything from what happened to his grandfather. In verse 23 it says, But hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver, of gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the god in whose hand thy breath is and whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified. You know as your Thinking about this, Daniel is standing before the king of one of the most powerful nations on earth and he's rebuking him, isn't he? How many of us would have that strength to do that, to go in before a ruler and tell him what he's doing wrong and explain it to him? (laughs) I don't know, but maybe we'll have that opportunity someday. And he says... Because you didn't humble yourself and you weren't glorifying God who gives you life. Instead, you were glorifying gods that couldn't hear or speak. Imaginary gods. I'd like to share another verse with you. It's from Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Jeremiah says, Who we should be glorifying? For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. It says, But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That's the thing we should be glorying in. In verse 24, Daniel explains to him, because he had not glorified God and he had pride in his heart, then was a part of the hand sent from him and this writing was written. You know, when you look and you hear about the hand of God or the finger of God, it's really a reference to God's unlimited power as he intervenes directly in the affairs of men's lives. You know, little did Belshazzar know that God was watching, that he witnessed his sacrilegious um, actions that night. And even today, God knows what we're doing, doesn't he? Good or bad? But even in spite of this, he is always drawing men to him. Did Belshazzar have the opportunity to know God? He did, but he, he refused to know God. And then Daniel stands before the king, and he, he gives him the interpretation, verse 25. And this is the writing that was written, mene, mene, tekel, upfarsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom. And finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, I'll stop right there, verse 28. So the interpretation, ultimately judgment, has come on Belshazzar's kingdom. Excuse me. Ultimately, judgment has come on Belshazzar's kingdom. So how is it on our lives today? If Jesus were to confront us today, would we be found wanting? Excuse me. When you talk too much up here, sometimes you lose your voice. (laughs) You know, there's other times that God's hand or finger of God happened. Can you think of any? The God used his finger. Some shaking of his, your heads. Remember when God's finger wrote. On the ten commandments. On the tables of stone. <clears throat> that was the standard by which we're judged by. Right? And then in this instance. Um, judgment was brought. By the finger of God. Upon Belshazzar. <clears throat> and there's another. Instance, as you think in the New Testament, Jesus, when he knelt down in the dirt and started writing with his finger with the woman caught in adultery. She had accusers. And she was bound down in repentance and humility and shame. And as he wrote, the accusers walked away. And as he said to her, he said, where is your accusers now? And he says, neither do I condemn you. That was God's finger writing in mercy, wasn't it? So there was judgment and mercy by the commandments or by the finger of God. So God is always offering mercy. If you go, as we finish here in verse 29 and 30 and 31, it says, Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet <clears throat> and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom, something that Daniel didn't want. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old, about 62 years old. So somehow God, allowing the kingdom or the army of the Medes and Persians to come in, he protected Daniel, didn't he? Technically, Daniel was a ruler, (laughs) the third ruler, but God protected him. And as we'll see in the next chapter, what he did for Daniel. It's an amazing book. A prominent pastor pointed out that Daniel is really a book about kingdoms. Who will we obey, God's kingdom or man's kingdom? You know, God allowed Israel to go into captivity, into Babylon, because of their sins. And in doing this, he was also to bring a knowledge of himself, his everlasting kingdom, to a heathen nation, Babylon, and to bring his people out before it fell. Daniel and his companions were a witness in Babylon when it came time for the king of kings to be born in a manger, who had knowledge of that event, and who came to witness it? It was the wise men of the east. I believe that there were descendants from the wise men in Babylon that had learned the prophecies through Daniel. And God wants everyone today to know him. Nebuchadnezzar knew God but Belshazzar refused to know God. This is the most important thing in the end, isn't it? To know God. You know, in Matthew seven twenty three, Jesus is speaking, and he says, there's the, those that come to him at the end and say, we've done all these wonderful works in thy name. We've prophesied, we've healed. And what does Jesus say to them? I never knew you. We need to know God, but we also want him to know us. It's a personal relationship, isn't it? I'd like to turn to Romans one more time. That was our scripture reading. Romans thirteen eleven, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. Did Belshazzar have the opportunity to know God And the time he was living in, he did. The armies were at the gate. He should have known, but he defied the God of heaven. And he did it in drunkenness. Something Paul warns us about today. Today we have that opportunity to know God and to awake out of sleep. I would like to share one last verse as we close. It's Second Peter three seventeen and eighteen, and Peter is speaking of the events at the end of the world and what is coming upon us. And he says, "Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things beforehand, beware lest ye also be being, being led away with the error of the wicked." Fall from your own steadfastness. But then he he gives us advice. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. We'll have our closing song.